Hello, welcome to episode 84 of Fear of a Black Planet. It's cold. <laughs> it's fucking cold. I had a, um, an interesting experience the other night. So, Saturday morning I was going to work and I was late, as I always am on Saturday morning, because basically I'm the only one in the office, so it's really easy to be late. Um... And I was in a rush because I didn't want to like just let it sail off and be really, really late. So then I started panicking. And in my panic, I couldn't find my fucking keys. <laughs> and uh, I was raking around the room, agitated, and I didn't want to get into that because I can really get into that bad temper, grumbly, neurotic mood. So then I started worrying about that. So anyway, I just thought, right, I'm just gonna, I can't find the keys, I'll just, and we've got a, a, a door where you can just pull it shut. And uh, so I did that, I just said, oh, fuck it, I'll come back tonight and hopefully there'll be someone in. And uh, so I just left without keys. However, I was meant to be meeting a friend that night. And then, so I said, well, I've got to go back, I'm going to be a bit late because I've got to go back and make sure I can get back into my house. So I came back. No one was in. So I waited for half an hour. No one came. So I thought, oh, fuck it. And I went to my mates, drank some whiskey, then came back about 11 o'clock. And usually there's someone up until about midnight in the house. So I thought, I'll be fine. I'm not going to wake anyone up, especially on a Saturday night. No one was in, or no one went answered. Because I'm a lodger, it's an in, in, a, in quite a big house. It's there's a number of floors, so it could have been that there were just people upstairs that nobody heard. And I kept ringing it a couple of times. Fuck. So I waited. And actually, the waiting on the doorstep was not such a bad deal because I think I'd, I'd been so busy and so flustered and stressed recently that actually just sitting on my doorstep, and, and it's quite a quiet street and very lucky where I live. It's very quiet compared to the area I live is intense traffic loud, uh, constantly being developed. It's an assault on the senses. It's not very pleasant. I don't really like living in the area for that reason. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of accessibility where I am, so I'm not being moaning. I just, it's, if I wasn't living in the place, in the street that I live in, I couldn't have done it. So it was actually quite nice to just sit and listen to the wind in the trees and actually kind of meditate so I stayed, I waited for about an hour on my doorstep and it was fine, I just read my book or just sat and thought and then it started to get a bit fucking cold. <laughs> and at one point I went off, I said, okay, what I'll do is I'll go up to Green Park and I'll get some money out. I put all my money in my savings account so that I don't spraff it so I can only really get money out if I've got a computer or if I go to a Barclays, but... So I went into town to a Barclays. The first one wasn't was out of service. Then I went to another couple of Barclays in the centre of town, and they were just not working for some reason, and everybody was having trouble not running them. I think they just were so over, um, overused that things started to go to shit. And um, so that kind of screwed that. So then I went back, sat again, waiting. And normally someone's coming in, you know. Normally there's people coming in and out of the house all the time, but for this, for some reason this weekend, 
maybe people were at Halloween parties. Um, I don't know. And then, um, so I, it got to about midnight and I realised, shit, this might be... My mum my lives just across the road, by the way. So I did go over and, and ring the bell a couple of times, but they'd gone to bed. So I was fucked. <laughs> so close yet so far from warmth and it was really starting to get fucking cold. I mean, it was about midnight to one o'clock, it was bloody icy and cold in, in London. It, it must have dipped to about four. Um... So then what I did was just to get warm and went on the tube a couple of times, just in the Victoria line, which, by the way, I recommend now, if you're in London and you're stranded for whatever reason, go on the tube. It's bloody warm and it runs all night now and no one really gives a shit. On something like the Victoria line, people just leave you alone, I found. And I, uh, later on in the night, I did it again because it ended up that I was stranded all night. And... I went the whole way to Wallenstone back and no one, no one fucking, and there was other people doing it as well. Um, so then basically at about one o'clock, I realised this might be it. I'm going to have to power through. So I went to King's Cross thinking there's probably likely there'll be places open there. Not as many as I thought there would be. And also it's accessible and I can just go jump on the, the, the Victoria line if there, if there's nowhere to hide. Um, so I went and got a halloumi wrap from one of his Turkish places and then sat in there for a bit, but that was a bit messy and horrible. And by the way, everyone was at Halloween party, so it was like, it was freak show <laughs> in centre of London. Um, and by this point, I'd kind of made peace with it. For a while, I was getting agitated, but I just sort of said to myself, well, it's only one night if I'm really fucked and I don't get in and no one, no one answers any bells for the rest of the night. Uh, the worst comes to the worst is one night and I can just make this a bit of an adventure which is what I did and actually uh, there's two McDonald's in King's Cross there's one on the corner um, what's the uh, is it Pent on Pentonville Road is that the right road? yeah I think it's Pentonville Road which takes you all the way up to Farringdon on the corner of that at King's Cross, there's a McDonald's, but it's foolish schemies and, you know, some uh, youths um, and nowhere to sit. But there's one across the, ro across the road from that on the opposite side from the station and you can sit in there. And I recommend this McDonald's, by the way. So I went and got a flat white and it was full of kids, basically, kids on their Halloween party. Um, mostly students around that area, actually. What I figured out, that um, there must be loads of residents around there, right? So Because it, it was pretty much students all the way. Um, which is fine. You can deal with that. Um, there were hardly any schemies, and there's a guy on the door, a big Italian guy who's obviously ex-military or ex-police, um, who, you know, skinhead, didn't want to fuck with him. Perfectly nice gentleman, but he had that kept everybody in, in turn um, because there was a bunch of ute at the at the bar in McDonald's making a lot of, you know, just being annoying and he shut them up pretty quick. So, and I, by the way, another thing about this McDonald's, everyone who worked there was shit hot. There was a great manager in there. Everyone was working really well. Um, they're heroes, those people that work in places like that. I mean, McJobs is now a byword for shitness, but I was really impressed by 
the the level of service and there was a guy just running them one till the whole night and he was shit hot he was like people were being really annoying you know what type of people i've known people who go into mcdonald's and they're like uh, can i have the such and such without the such and such and the and and, and a little less such it's like you're in mcdonald's you stupid fucking precious prissy twat um and so there were a few people like that and this one of, he was just one of these guys that had that calm zen look on his face of like you know just he's obviously a very easy steady stable character if i was in that job i'd be fucking killing people you know i'm not good in those kind of situations at all i used to work in a bar and, and when people were being dickish like that when you're stressed and you're under pressure i don't mind the hot pressure of the work i like kind of just sinking my teeth in i love that just sort of diving into the trench and just getting on with it but I hated that where you've got to like put on this front of like ease and zen like calm. It's like no, that's not going to happen. It's stress. But he was brilliant. Um, nothing phased him, even when I could tell he was really <laughs> fucking hating people. Those kind of people I really admire. Um, I wish I was more like that. And then everybody was working behind it. In the old days, McDonald's was a bit of a shit show. Um, but this was like everyone. It, there was a sense of calm, even though it was busy. I think there was a there was a woman who looked like the manager, and she just seemed to have everything running perfectly and brilliantly, and was able to tell people, "No, you can't do that. No, we're not doing that." And it's just that's it. there's no discussion. You know, the customer is not always right. I'm always right. I'm the boss, and but not in like a little Hitler type of way. It was just a very firm. This is we're all going to get better. We're all going to enjoy this a lot more if you do what I say, kind of thing. And so it was. That was the first plus of this McDonald's experience that I had. Um, but the main one after I sat down with a, my first flat white, and I just sort of thought, oh, "This is quite nice." I found a table in the corner, and I was thinking, you know, okay, I would prefer it if it was like a left bank boho cafe that I was sitting in at midnight. Because I always think that that's the test of a city, the litmus test of whether you're in a good city or not, is whether you can get a coffee in the middle of the night. But, you know, I was hoping that there would be some little boutique uh, brasserie open late at night, but there wasn't. And normally I would avoid McDonald's like the plague, because not not for any like abstract reason, but generally speaking, the atmosphere is intense and annoying and the twats that go in there are really aggressive and there was a little bit of that but they were kind of kept under um surveillance i suppose it was really clean and i have to say that because they've got this kind of these screens where you can order and it's all a lot more efficient i think that probably keeps the crowds down um so i I sat there and had a coffee and I thought, I'm actually really enjoying this. What is it that I'm enjoying about this? And I realised it was the music. I hate crowds, but I was able to deal with the crowded nature of it. And I couldn't work out. My, 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 my nervous system, even though I was haggard, tired, a little bit stressed about whether I'm ever going to get back into my fucking house, my nervous system was not 
it didn't feel overwhelmed, which is just basically in London what it feels like default. I, have a, I'm, I am. I, it's a really annoying when people say I'm so sensitive, but I am. I'm. A, I'm, I'm very sensitive. So I will, um, and it's a purely physical thing. This is not some moral. St- I'm so sensitive. That means I'm so special. No, I don't mean it like that. I never mean it like that. But it's just a fact. It's something where if I go to Oxford Street, I can't. It's not water off a duck's back to me. It's fucking intense and overwhelming and uh, ruins my day. Too many, too much stimulation, and it's very difficult to recover from it. So, <clears throat> normally, I would hate a situation like McDonald's crowded full of like rowdy students dressed in stupid costumes irritating me and invading my personal space coupled with the feeling of being stranded and not knowing if I'm ever going to be warm again but the music was not shitty remixes of 90s club hits which is what you usually get these days kind of background wallpaper music it was really good classical music and I'm and I don't mean classic fm classic music i mean actually like it was a mixture of classical songs it there was not one they weren't playing a whole beethoven symphony but they'd obviously got so it was really good quality classical music like vivaldi and uh, you know like obscure enough that you didn't i didn't recognize anyway and i'm not saying i'm an expert but i've heard all those cheesy mixes that you get of the kind of usual suspects and there was none of that it was like just really nice mostly baroque i think kind of soothing violin music and piano music and all that and What's the piano around in the Baroque era? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was calming, soothing music. Um, and it made all the difference to the point where like, I could tell that it wasn't just me that was enjoying it. Even people who weren't noticing the good music, they were, there was a real sort of, a sort of serenity to the whole experience. It was calm, um, relaxed, People were just sitting around talking. It was exactly the atmosphere you'd want from the Boho Cafe. I could hear people talking about industrialization and ca- and capital, and you know, it was like students arguing about, you know, left wing, right wing politics and things like that, and um, people talking about the media and free speech and things like that. It was really funny. All these young people. Just something about the atmosphere had made it just a bit more civil, and it really made me think of Roger Scruton's attack on pop music is that it's kind of this assault on the soul. And it really spoke to that. It was really a good example of that, that 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 one difference made all the difference for the whole night. So I just sat there for a few hours, had another coffee, did a bit of writing. Was people this one of the good things about London is people leave you alone. If you did that in Dundee, you get all sorts of cunts coming up to you saying, "Hey, you fucking writing for?" Uh, you know, like it's, I hate that. It's like, well, I'm certainly not doing it to impress you, you fucking twat. Um. So I actually had a very pleasant couple of hours in McDonald's, couple of coffees, bit of writing jotted down some ideas, just sat, and mostly just sat there observing and, and contemplating. And and I think that actually it was, as much as I'd created this rather chaotic situation through my own idiocy and neglect and not thinking properly and just not not being a proper adult, um, I was wondering if subconsciously I'd created that. 
situation in my head because sometimes I find that if I can't sleep at night, it's probably because in the last recent few weeks I've been stressed and I've not been giving myself time. Like, if you don't give yourself time to think, just allow your mind to breathe, then your mind will find a way <laughs> to breathe, whether it's creating an illness so you can take time off work or something. I really believe that, and I do that all the time, and I think the first sign of that usually is something like insomnia. But I reckon that's what this was. I, I And actually, because I, I, as I said, I, there was, I sat for a couple of hours on my step as well, and I had absolutely no problem with that. I was actually, until it got cold, I was perfectly fine just to sit there because I didn't mean I needed to go anywhere. There was no obligation to do anything. I wasn't distracted by my computer. I could just allow my mind to breathe. Um, so that was, but it was really nice to sit in McDonald's. As I say, I would have preferred it if it wasn't McDonald's and it was a nice boho cafe playing that kind of music and I could have a coffee. But actually, that was as good as I'm going to get in the centre of London these days. And uh, that music made all the difference. It was a, it was civilised. There was a feeling of civilization in the air. And I really believe, this is a good argument about the, the moral impact of beauty. I really believe that people were better behaved because the music was really good, sophisticated, um, soothing, soulful music. It was just observable. You know, you could, you, I can't prove it, but it was observable. Um, so then after that, I, I, I had to leave eventually because I couldn't stay there the whole night. Um, and also I couldn't have another coffee. So I went, I went on the, the train basically and then I just went up. I went and did the, the full run of the train and back and I got some sleep. I basically slept for straight away and fell asleep. Um, and then by the time I'd got back to Vauxhall, I was ready to go. So then I went back to the house. Uh, tried my mum's door again. Nobody there. Uh, so I think, I'm trying to think what I did then. I think I went back on the tube for another couple of hours. And then by that point, by the time I got back, it was about six o'clock in the morning. Oh, and the fucking clocks went back. So I lost an hour. So by the time I thought it's three o'clock, I've only got a few more hours before I can wake my mum or her husband up. No, <laughs> four hours. Um, so that was annoying, but I just tried not to get freaked out. Uh, and then by that point, I just went to Starbucks basically and slept for another couple of hours. Just got a, a juice and just, and that's another thing. People were leaving me alone there. That wasn't particularly pleasant. Starbucks is a very vapid, uncultured place. So there was no stimulation. I mean, it's a real loss that you can't. You, there, are, there isn't just some bohemian cafe you can go and, and bunk down in and drink coffee. I mean, that would have been what you could do in the old days, and there would have been stuff happening, and you would see humanity in its full spectrum, and it would be a creative environment. But short of that, I got something close to that experience in Kings Cross McDonald's the other night. So, in that sense, that was quite nice. And eventually, I did get. I, I, I think it was about nine o'clock. That I got into my mum's house, and then eventually it was all solved. But so there you go. There's no, there's no great revelation to that story. I just thought it was quite an interesting little adventure that I had. And you know, it sends the shits up you because you realise how much you take for granted in terms of a warm bed, privacy, the feeling of safety that comes from having a house with food in the fridge the minute that's cut off from you your nervous system is very quickly in panic mode 
and there were even though it was like it was the one of the, it was probably the first night of the the winter really um but people were sleeping rough lots of people sleeping rough which is a scary thought um and it brings it home to you that um but i think what i'm trying to say is i i i actually had quite a good night when it could have been an awful disaster um and so i, I would recommend the mcdonald's at king's cross the victoria line night train and if you really have to uh, Starbucks, because they'll leave you alone in Starbucks. That is one of the advantages of corporate environments. But anyway, it's not not any great revelation story. It's just uh, it was quite an interesting adventure that I had, and I feel that I had I feel in some way that it was kind of uh, rejuvenating. There is such a thing as being too much of a goody two-shoes if you're trying to keep a routine and trying to keep on top of things and trying to be too much of an adult all the time. Uh, it was quite nice just to to be thrown into a bit of chaos for once and quite creatively stimulating. Like when I was sitting in McDonald's, I did get quite a bit of writing done and there were quite a lot of new ideas. I wrote some fragments of poetry, which I hadn't done for ages. So there was just parts of my brain that were activated by that hadn't been activated for a long time. And it was just an interesting atmosphere. It was definitely one of those sit-and-watch-the-world-go-by kind of moments and uh, really pleasant for it. And one of the things that, when you do that, I think I'm going to try and make sure that I do that every day do a bit of people watching but not in the kind of like i'm such an observer of people you know anyone that's regularly listened to this podcast ever would know that, that i really hate that mentality that smug pseudo psychologist kind of mentality but genuinely just observing people and not judging it not being as if you're superiorly detached from the world it's a kind of op the opposite what i got was a sense of feeling of part of humanity and a sense of love of humanity, just seeing all these different faces and different characters coming and going in the middle of the night. The sort of frantic busyness of King's Cross at two in the morning. It was stimulating and um, reassuring. I felt like I, I felt connected to humanity in a way that I like to feel connected to humanity. I like humanity. Roger Scruton once said that the problem with lefty romantic types is summed up in Shelley's not men but man. So Shelley was more interested in man as an abstract idea than real people. And Scruton thinks that's a perfect characterization of what's wrong with the romantic lefty type. But I actually think there's some value in it. And not, I agree that you can be too abstract about that. And to the to the point where it leads to really perverted ways of implementing ideas, totalitarian even. But if it is just if that just means seeing what's great in all people, regardless of who they are, that's a different thing, and it's not entirely abstract. 
And that's kind of close to what I got, was a feeling, the love of, of human potential and... Um, Just the the beautiful abundance of humanity, I guess, is, is what I was trying to get at. And that's, that's reassuring, because it is easy to sink, especially these days, to sink into a kind of misanthropy. And very easy when you're in London, in the afternoon trying to go for a walk somewhere, and just you're, you're, you're assaulted by kind of wankery attitudes everywhere you go. I don't know what was different about it. It was just seemed it was just seemed to be a kind of little oasis of maybe because they were all young, maybe they were all young students, and that was what was nice about it. Not uh, probably a part of it, but I think the main thing was the music. Anyway, I'll stop all the rambling about that. But I just thought that was a nice, a nice little interlude to my recent experiences that made me feel good and I felt was life-affirming. That's that's kind of all I'm trying to say. I felt there was something very life-affirming in that. I wanted to talk about something else. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen this video that went viral recently. Where it's, a, it's called From Women to Men and it's basically a whole load of women saying sorry to the men that they've hurt um, and recognising that there are certain things that women do most commonly among women to that are not particularly nice to men. I'll try to think of an example. But the, for instance, the one that resonated with me was there was this woman who said that she recognises that she spends all, you know, that women spend quite a lot of their time in active seduction mode to entice men in, completely natural, while at the same time uh, communicating a subtext of admonition about men's forthright sexuality so that there's a kind of mixed message there between wanting to stimulate that very thing that they're also kind of finger wagging about and that's that really I felt that was the one of the ones that was the one that resonated with me the most and felt quite nice that a very mature um, intelligent woman had recognized that that was because I felt that that's a double bind I find myself into it's like I've got to be in order to be a man I've got to project a confident sexuality but too confident and it becomes aggressive and uh, invasive and quite often I've got to be prepared to as part of that aggressive manly sexuality to be rejected and scorned and sniffed at and looked down upon as some kind of dog and quite often that will be a standard form of rejection if you got you're trying to hit on girls in a bar or on the street you're gonna get mm, get away from me kind of mentality and it's not very nice because it makes you feel like it makes you feel like a scumbag when actual fatty what you're expressing is perfectly natural. Anyway, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that it was quite interesting that suddenly a, a bunch of women had started to realize that the ways that they behave are also quite destructive and also contribute to 
a breakdown in the communication of the sexes. And I think, and I've so I've, I'll link to it, but there's this channel called Rebel Wisdom. And so, and they're generally a bunch of guys who are into Jordan Peterson or, and into, they're kind of union hippie types. Um, of the kind that maybe about 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago was much more common. But since the crash and since everything's gone really political and polemical, that kind of, it doesn't seem so easy to find people like that now who are into that kind of hippie Alan Watts way of looking at the world. But that's kind of their deal. And they invited some of these women to come and talk and did a few interviews with them and said, you know, because they they had a lot of negative reaction, of course, a lot of very positive reaction, but the feminists hated them because they said they were selling women out and basically saying, oh, it's our fault that there's abuse. And uh, they were sort of saying you're victim blaming and you're it's sort of self-hating. When there was nothing of the kind, they were very calm. They were just, the, the woman who had started it is a woman called... Hannah Milling, I think she's a Danish therapist. She's actually gorgeous, I'm not going to lie. Um, but but uh, she said that she's a conflict resolution therapist and she'd said that one of the, the major things about conflict resolution is being able to sort of self-examine, do your own work, figure out it's not about self-blame or taking the blame off someone else it's just about recognizing how did I get into this situation what were the things that were I that were playing out for me that allowed me to get into this situation and what have I contributed to it in any way and she basically this was she she made it and wrote the, the the script for it before the me too thing kicked off and she was saying that basically she was just getting tired and exhausted by the 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 lack the sort of communication breakdown and the what the sort of culture war between the sexes So she sort of she's applying what she knows as a, a conflict resolution therapist, having worked with couples and all that, to the general culture. And I thought it's really quite a brave thing to do. And she said that it's not something she hears this, this from women to men. I'm sorry, we we're not we're not fucking perfect either. And I realise that I've hurt many men in my life because of my femininity, because of my the way I've deployed my sexuality. And I don't mean like oh, bloody sluts. It's not like that. It was it was more it was more the psychological element. It was of seduction or 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 the kind of power dynamics and recognizing that there are power plays that are very subtle from the female side. It's a lot easier to recognize male abuse than it is female abuse. But that doesn't mean that it isn't there. And that it isn't just as bad. And I always get from the other point of view when I'm arguing this. Oh, well, that's where we disagree. I recognise that there are some women, but more men. They will always come... The, the narrative is basically... When you sum it all up, men are worse than, than women at, these, at this kind of thing. And I think that that's the bit that I felt this video was addressing. And saying, actually, no, it's not true. We, I am. Uh, they were saying, I as a woman, I'm equally destructive and even toxic at times in the way that I behave around my sexuality and try to control men and levels of manipulation, mixed messages and, and, and not being on my own shit. That was the important bit of what they were saying. These were women who, and it came out in the Rebel Wisdom interviews that, so there was the, also the MRAs, the sort of extreme men's rights activists who really hated them because they were basically saying, ah, you're full of shit, it's not enough, it's too late, too little, too late, you know, clinging on to their ideological points of view which i hate if you if, if you're just sacrificing the truth 
for your own ideological position because it makes you feel better and it's easier, then you're an idiot. I was I I I have as much bitterness as any man about that exact silence that I feel exists around female abuse, female um, female abusers. Because I have to say, the most abusive people I've ever met have been women. I know I'm not. I know that's not a commonly talked about thing, but that's that, that's where I'm coming from. And I just felt that this was a really great video that I thought was very brave of them because not only were they saying something that was uncommon and, and, and usually not talked about, they were talking about their... And this really came out in the Rebel Wisdom interviews. They were talking about their own shit, how they, how they were not coming from a place of self-hate or neuroticism. In fact, it was the opposite. They were coming from a place of healed wounds and saying, actually... Yes, I've had experiences of abuse. Yes, I've met men who have been particularly abusive and there's nothing that excuses that. However, I too have been abusive. I too have contributed to a kind of culture of, of conflict and embattled in, in sexuality and gender, which has perpetuated that destructive cycle. And I take responsibility for whatever small role I might have played in that or whatever big role I might have played in that. I remember about 10 years ago, there was a video that was done the other way. And I suppose I, I felt that, the, you know, there was the other criticism of this kind of thing is that a collective apology isn't the right thing. You know, why would one group of women say that they were sorry for all women? I don't think that that's what they were doing. From what I understand from what Hannah Milling said, she said, I, it's a very personal reflection on a culture-wide problem. So it was a personal apology for a cultural sin, if you want to put it like that. It wasn't a collective apology. Or they weren't, they weren't assuming a role of speaking for the collective, that's what I mean. Um, but I understand that criticism because I felt it when there was a video that was kind of the other way about men sort of saying sorry. But my biggest criticism of that was that this did come out too in the in the in the rebel wisdom was that the sort of the response of a certain group of men and I've definitely in the past been one of them and maybe that's where I get a kind of I've gone the other way sometimes the self castrating tendency the self hate of your own sexuality to go oh god because because you recognise that you haven't behaved as well as you should have done and you also recognise that there there the, the, this animal that you have inside of you is very potent you don't always have it completely under control it sometimes urges you to behave in ways and to that sacrifice your sense of dignity and integrity and it's not clear how to manage that so what was i saying Yes, the 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 self castrating reaction is the wrong one. It's um, that would have been that was my criticism of the of of that, and I and maybe and maybe a lot of people felt that, that that's what these women were doing that they were doing a male version a sort of female version of that self castrating and sort of say I'm sorry, but it doesn't sound like they they really were coming from that place. They were coming from a place of. 
what I got from them, they, 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 they were, I said, I said a comment underneath saying, I think they're heroes because they really, they, I think there really is something heroic about self triumphing over your own neuroticism. And it struck me that each and every woman in that video had a very mature, hard-won self-awareness about their struggles. So, there you go. Um, I think it was a brave thing to do, and it made, and it felt healing to me because at the end of it, I did feel okay. Because that is my main frustration with feminism. It's not that I don't recognise a lot of truth in what's being claimed. It's just that it's only one side of the story. And why is that important? Because actually, there aren't two sides to this story. There's one story with different... Because human sexuality is one story. So if we're only hearing that one side is the abuser and one side's the victim in some kind of Marxist political analysis, that is not the accurate depiction of what's going on. It doesn't translate into sexuality. Sexuality is an intersubjective phenomenon. So any any attempt to heal whatever wounds exist in that experience have to come from both the male and the female perspective to talk about one or the other. And I would and I would absolutely say this is the problem with the MRA. I don't I do and, and maybe a problem with the Mugta. I completely understand the Mugta men going their own way thing from the point of view of if it if it just means focus on your own shit, get your own self sorted, grow the fuck up, create your own life and 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 then earn the ability to attract and entice attractive women into your life on the on the back of your own value. That I get and I think that's in some ways the right way. But if it means completely that you can take your as a man you can take yourself out of the sexual experience entirely. That's a myth and a dangerous one because it's it impoverishes human potential because we are sexual creatures. We are erotic creatures. We are a necessary part of fulfilling our potential and, and um, Evolution and growth is that experience, not just physically, but, but psychologically and spiritually. I really believe that. So having one side, whether it's MRA, Mugtau, or whether it's Feminazi, Jessica Valenti bullshit, um, is part of the problem. Now, that's not to say you can't have domains which are gendered. absolutely think that's absolutely healthy. But demonizing the other side and i've been guilty of this at times demonizing the other side is really toxic because it doesn't heal anything it just entrenches the wounds it deepens the wounds um and i felt that this video was, went a long way to helping me i felt it was very healing i felt um what the word was fulfilled by watching it um, relieved yeah, in some ways rejuvenated again is the word I felt that it was a, 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 I guess healing it was just very healing 
That's that's as close as I can get. So, yeah, I'll link to that video. Um, I think one of the problems I have now is, I think post sixties counterculture and the sexual revolution, we're starting to realise that sexuality, part of sexuality, is power and part of what we love about it is also the very thing that's equally destructive about it it's a it's it's a huge amount of power and both men and women have centers of power that can be wielded destructively on others and we are in a position now where we have we one way of dealing with that and Jordan Peterson touches on this and I don't always agree with him because I think that in some way he's arguing to, that we should err on the side of conservatism about sexuality and I think he's got a point but to go back to Victorian Puritanism would be equally toxic and it really was toxic there is a reason why we needed the sexual revolution because we do not want to go back to a stage where one sexual mistake can ruin a woman's life. And I mean ruin. Ruin being the real operative word. It can render her life meaningless, cut her off from her children, condemn her to poverty and isolation and alienation. Basically, women who had you know fucked up sexually in the Victorian era were basically committed to being the walking dead. They were on death row for the rest of their life, effectively. But also, there, there, this was this happened to men. I mean, what happened to Oscar Wilde was it brought out a really nasty side of Victorian society, a, a uniquely nasty side of Victorian life in terms of the mob justice aspect of it the way that the mob people were whipped up by the press and he was assaulted and um, there was a real kind of reactionary, it was very like the Me Too behaviour, kind of mob justice, presumption of guilt, um, gossip, um, yeah, groupthink, virtue signalling, and, and, and quite violent, really, and dangerous. But there was this, the particularly male version of that ruining is um, the the weaponization of social status, that this was someone who had really had the most status, who had worked very hard, actually, to attain a certain status in society, and the, the glee and relish with which that was removed is a particular assault on a kind of male version because it sort of weaponized, he was sacrificed as a way of the establishment saying, don't fuck with us, we will do this to you no matter who you are, no matter your standing in society, no matter your social class, we will destroy you and this is how we'll do it. It will be very public and you will not only suffer the consequences of your own sins, you will be robbed of everything that gives your life meaning publicly. 
And that, to me, is what Me Too has become. It's become a version of what happened to Oscar Wilde. Paradoxically and ironically enough, as much as it projects a, a, an ideal of the counterculture and sexual freedom and emerges from third-wave feminism, effectively, um, it's actually manifested itself in a per- peculiarly Victorian way. And it, I can't... I can. I always think of Oscar Wilde when it comes back to these like um, public shaming things, you know, the how easily and readily people do it. And what's so toxic about the Me Too thing now is that it's couched in virtue. It's not like at least in the Victorian time with Oscar Wilde, um, it was obviously reactionary, and you know people had no trouble admitting their reactionary, bigoted views. But what you get with Me Too is it's been weaponized as a kind of excuse to behave just as badly, but in the name of virtue. And I've more to say on this, but I think that one of the reasons that you can't criticize it, and, and if you do criticize it, you're immediately you're assumed to be saying that you're okay with abuse, that you that you're justifying abuse, which I've not said, and I'm not. I think that people who behave like Harvey Weinstein and his kind should be strung up. I really do. I think the I, I'm really concerned now with the, the power and, and, and destructiveness and toxicity that's uh, that human sexuality that is not guarded or, or, or disciplined can reach. And as I get older, I realise that I grew up in the 90s where it was a very laissez-faire view of sexuality, which isn't necessarily healthy. In fact, not healthy. I mean, I grew up as a 14, 15-year-old reading FHM and Loaded magazine. There are great things about that, don't get me wrong. But the view of sexuality was a very materialistic view of sexuality and one that really, and I, I think that, so I'm, I'm saying this, by the way, is in a recognition of what can go wrong with sexuality. So I'm in, in no way, but that doesn't mean I can't criticise Me Too or at least the way someone like, I think the ways Louis C.K. and Kevin Spacey and I think this um, reputation trashing aspect of it that no, there's no forgiveness that there's a little bit too much relish for destroying people's reputation that or the Kavanaugh is another good example these are not ways of getting justice this is not justice that's not real justice and anyway frankly the opposite of abuse is not justice it's not political it's psychological and spiritual it's a it's a it's a sin to abuse someone's sexuality it's a sin Another thing, by the way, is that this is, I'm just going off on another tangent here, but the way that the, the reaction to the Catholic Church, the recent scandal in the Catholic Church, where thousands of people over decades have been shown to have suffered abuse, the disproportionate levels between the Harvey Weinstein situation and the Catholic Church situation, the disproportionate levels of outrage that happened for the Harvey Weinstein compared to the thousands of people who were abused as children sexually by people they should have otherwise trusted. That suggests to me something's off with this Me Too because there was no Me Too hashtag and when and the, and, and, and the outrage quickly went away. There was no, it, it wasn't, there's no prolonged campaign for those people that suffered in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church itself has spun itself. I mean, I think one of the reasons they've got this liberal lefty Pope now 
is as a kind of PR spin. It's propaganda to is because as long as they say the right things to the sort of liberal elites, then they don't feel they're not going to come after you, even if you even if you deserve to be come after. Um, you know, even Weinstein got away with it for so long because he was doing that. You know, if you say the right things about gun control and you say the right things about abortion, then you can get away with fucking murder, literally, in, in certain parts of the world these days. So anyway, I don't know, that's my view on that. I don't think the right the right way to react to what I've been saying is outrage or moral superiority, and if anyone wants to come at me with that, please fuck off, because you're wrong. If you think I'm wrong on the point of fact about certain things, or you think that I'm not seeing the full picture, fine, fair enough, I'm willing to debate that. But if you're coming at this like, how dare you, fuck off, fuck you, kiss my ass. I have every right to question this. And just because I'm questioning it does not mean I'm apologising for monsters. I hate those people. I think that we have lived for too long in the mixed message. Um, I think sexuality has been weaponized by consumer culture, basically, is what is my is the root of my critique of it and we're now living with the 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 consequences of that and it's a task now to find a way where we can we can stop going into self-destructive compulsive behaviors which are rewarded by that kind of consumerist pop culture view of sexuality which has been the dominant function of our culture for the last 40 years while at the same time we don't degenerate into Victorian Puritanism and end up with ruining women's lives because of one mistake or destroying men's reputation like they did with Oscar Wilde. We have to find a new way of, of maintaining a kind of evolved, mature discipline about our sexuality that doesn't um, itself become Puritan and abusive. And that's a very difficult thing. There's no clean answer to that. It's um, But it, it's... It's the only way I think that we can we can save our civilization without sounding too dramatic. I think that that, that that's absolutely the case. Anyway, I've, I've wanted to talk about something else, but I think I've rambled for a, a little bit too long now. So that's episode eighty four. I'll be back next week with episode eighty five. I will link to the 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 videos that I was talking about in the section below. And yeah, I'll speak to you next week. Thanks for listening.